From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Welcome to this Tuesday edition of Washington Watch. I appreciate you tuning in. Coming up, it was one year ago today that President Biden said this. We also know that as our economy has come roaring back, we've seen some price increases. Some folks have raised worries that this could be a sign of persistent inflation. But that's not our view. Our experts believe, and the data shows, that most of the price increases we've seen are, were expected and are expected to be temporary. Need a new uh, group of experts. 14 straight months of inflation above 5% is not transitory. You know, ignoring inflation, the White House is taking a victory lap on the decline in the price at the pump. You're having it both ways, Jared, because when the gas prices go up, it's got nothing to do with the president. When we see some decline, you want him to get the credit. Uh, look, I think that uh, that, that uh, it, it, there's there's no both way thinking here at all. I think that uh, there has been uh, a consistent, uh, uh, I think, pressure on on this White House to try to do everything it could to ameliorate inflationary pressures, and the president has reacted uh, from the beginning, talking about how this was such an important priority uh, to uh, 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 alleviate these pressures on behalf of the American people. So what? It that was White House economic advisor Jared Bernstein serving the White House press corps a, uh, a word salad yesterday. By the way, how, how are the American people better off paying $4.50 a gallon on average when it was $2.38 a gallon when President Biden took office? Now, I, I, look, I get it. I'm, it's not the $5 we were paying last month, but it's not the two twenty-five we were paying either when the president or Mr. Biden, was in his basement. We'll talk with the uh, Texas Congressman Kevin Brady a little bit later about it. And speaking of Texas, a group of Republican U.S. senators visited the southern border in McAllen, Texas, last Friday. It is an area that is completely lawless. I've met with the, uh, some of the uh, owners of some of the farmland in this area. They are incredibly frustrated with the number of criminal elements that are coming across the border. Many of these folks have lived here for 50 years plus, and uh, they're very aware of what this area used to be like, and now they know what it is like now. That was Oklahoma Senator James Lankford who was on that trip. We'll get a firsthand report of the chaos at the southern border in just a moment when Wisconsin Senator Ron Johnson who was one of the Republican senators on that trip, joins us. And while inflation is at a 40-year high, gasoline prices setting records, and last month illegal border crossings hit a record 527% increase over June of 2020. What is the Democratic leadership here in Washington focused on? Well, I can tell you, none of the above. Today, it was trying to codify into law the 2015 Supreme Court decision overturning 5,000 years of marriage. The MAGA Republicans that are taking over the Republican Party have made it abundantly clear they're not satisfied with repealing Roe. As many have openly said, they have now turned their attention now on the Obergefell decision and marriage equality. That was uh, Senate Democrat leader Chuck Schumer. You know, the left is in a panic because they no longer have the courts to do their legislating for them. We'll talk about that with Texas Congressman Chip Roy a little later here on Washington Watch. Also, FRC's David Clawson, director of our Center for Biblical Worldview, will join me in studio to discuss why natural marriage is still something that should be defended. And Meg Kilgannon, FRC Senior Fellow for Education Studies, will join me again today to discuss new information that shows the left is losing their death grip on public education in America. And by the way, that's good news. I'm going to talk about it. 
The website, TonyPerkins.com, lots of resources there for you. Be sure and check it out. And also, if you've not yet visited the Washington Stand, a source of news and commentary from a biblical perspective, I encourage you to do so, WashingtonStand.com. Today's word coming from the Stand on the Word Bible reading plan is Psalm 56, verses 3 and 4. Whenever I am afraid, I will trust in you, in God. I will praise his word. In God, I have placed my trust. I will not fear. What can flesh do to me? You know, David, the psalmist, in this case, as he wrote this psalm, was surrounded, and his future looked uncertain. But he didn't let his fear lead him. He took his fear to the Lord, where he had placed his trust. To join us in this journey through the Bible, you can find the reading plan at frc.org. Also, you can join me each morning, Monday through Friday at 8.44 a.m. Eastern Time for a short devotional based upon the daily reading. You can find that either at TonyPerkins.com or on my Facebook page. Well, despite a year of record-breaking inflation, continued supply chain issues, and lawlessness at our southern border, congressional Democrats are focused on abortion, same-sex marriage, and anything else they can find to distract from the Biden economy. With me now to talk about this is Senator Ron Johnson of Wisconsin, who recently traveled to the southern border to witness the chaos. He is a member of the Senate Homeland Security Committee and the Government Affairs Committee. Uh, In fact, he was the previously he was the chairman and he joins us now. Senator, welcome back to the program. Well, Tony, it's good to be back. Now, I read your report from the border and it was shocking. Tell uh, our viewers and our listeners what you saw at the southern border. Well, Tony, I've made multiple trips. You always see something new. Uh, I wish I could adequately convey how profoundly disturbing it is to be there in person, though. Uh, We arrived at the border pretty late Thursday night, uh, immediately encountered a small group with small children. There's a little six-year-old, little seven-year-old girl unaccompanied. They were put together with this group. Uh, All they had was a little plastic bag full of their uh, birth certificate and a card, a note card with a address and a phone number. Had they lost that, I mean, they'd be lost. Uh, We also heard from uh, one of the reporters on the scene that uh, earlier, not that day, but earlier, uh, similarly aged little girls were being treated by CBP at that exact location after having been brutally raped. We we heard for for the first time something called either a rape tree, a panty tree, or a taunting tree. This is where the human traffickers will sexually assault uh, one of their victims and then just to taunt border patrol, they'll they'll put their they hang their panties in a in a tree just to show what how they can do this impunity. There's nothing that uh, custom border patrol can do. So I mean the, the human depredations. You you realize a very large mass murder recently occurred in America it didn't involve guns. It was a direct result of President Biden's open border policy uh, when 53 people, human beings, uh, died in that tractor trailer, including three children. So uh, again the, the Biden administration calls their policy humane. There's nothing humane about this whatsoever. The, the out-of-control flood of deadly drugs, the sex trafficking. I mean, how, how do you think young women pay off their five to $8,000 human trafficking fee? Uh, it's sick. And the fact that this administration won't even admit it's a problem, much less uh, continue to, to say that they have control over the border. They have no control over it. All, all they're doing is in, increasing the speed of their processing and dispersing uh, uh, illegal immigrants throughout America. Uh, Senator, uh, probably six months before uh, President Biden took office, I was at the southern border, took my, uh, it was, I think, my second or third trip to the southern border, and it looked like a ghost town. 
uh, there was no one coming across. They were that was when the remain in Mexico uh, policy was in place and everything on the border was intact. They were able to secure the border. The Border Patrol, instead of having to process people coming across, they were able to look for drug traffickers, human trafficking uh, that was taking place. That's not the case now. No, not at all. It uh, pretty well had the border under control. We'd stop the flow of unaccompanied children, of family units. Uh, even the number of single adults coming across uh, had, had, was way below its average. And then the presidential campaign kicked off. The Democrat presidential candidates started talking about uh, ending deportations and offering free health care. So they started increasing uh, single adults. Then, of course, when President Biden took office, he dismantled return to Mexico, the other agreements. And now we're dealing with uh, the last four months, over 7,000 people per day are being encountered by Border Patrol. They, they don't even call it apprehensions anymore. And that compares, by the way, uh, under President Biden, he called 2,000 a day a, a humanitarian crisis. Now we're over 7,000 days, over 6,000 days per 6,000 people per day since the Biden administration started. 3.7 million people have been encountered. So it's completely out of control. And you know, what's so sad about it is we we're so close to, to being able to take that first step to setting up a functioning legal immigration system, uh, controlling the drug trafficking. But uh, President Biden blew that all up. It's, it's really sad. It's, it's uh, disgusting, quite honestly. What this essentially is, in effect, and I've got some, I want to go through some numbers here in a moment, but this surge at the board, well, it's not really a surge, it's just continuous, but it's kind of like a blitz. And when you have all of these individuals coming across the border and they want to be caught because they want to get asylum here, they want to be led into the country. But as Border Patrol has to take care of those individuals, that's where the human trafficking, that's where the drug trafficking takes place because Border Patrol can't deal with that. So what are we looking at across the country? This is not just a problem for Texas, Arizona, border states. This is now a flood of illegal drugs and others, uh, and illegal immigrants coming all into the United States in every state. You're right. It's deadly drugs to every small town, every, every community in America, and they are deadly. Uh, I was briefed uh, about a year ago the uh, number of counterfeit pills as about one in 10 had enough fentanyl to kill people. Now it's up to four in 10 because they're just sloppy. They're not trying to kill their customers. They're just sloppy in terms of how they compound these things. Um, but again, the Biden administration is doing nothing to stop it. And we're experiencing record number of deaths from drug overdoses. So let's talk a little bit about the numbers. This past June, historic numbers, uh, a 527% increase over two years ago in June of 2020. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, 200,000 illegal crossings in the last four months. Now, these are ones that have actually been apprehended. They're looking at, since President Biden took office, that uh, there's 800,000 what they call gotaways. We could have a million people that we don't have any clue about that have just walked across that border since President Biden took office. Yeah, those are the known gotaways. They're also the unknown gotaways. And that's one thing we heard at the border, too, uh, McAllen, which is uh, probably the, the primary uh, place for people that want to turn themselves in to go. But there are other sectors where they mainly have gotaways. Uh, they, they're not capturing. It's a very desolate area. Now, th those are the people probably from uh, we've apprehended people from 150 nations. Uh, you don't think that's a national security threat uh, the gang members? Uh, again, the, the drug flow. So this massive flow of illegal immigrants. And I, I just always use the daily numbers because I think it's the 
which shows you how, how overwhelming this is. You know, over 7,000 people a day. We've got a couple thousand agents on the border, uh, and they're having to deal with 7,000 people per day, That's every right. day. And then they, you know, they go home, to, you know, off their shift, they come back, they have to deal with another 7,000 people the next day. And of course, it's 24-7. Right. It just never stops. It's uh, completely overwhelmed, dispirited Custom Border Patrol. And then you throw on top of that uh, the false reports of uh, the Border Patrol on, on horseback. Right. Uh, and because they were false reports, Biden administration can't admit they're wrong, so they bring them up on other false charges. It's sick. Uh, Senator, just got uh, 30 seconds left, but when was the last time President Biden was there at the border to to observe the situation? He hasn't been there as president, nor as Vice President Kamala Harris. And even if Secretary Marcus gets there, in, in our hearings, he won't even admit it's a problem. He says, well, Senator, it's a challenge. Um, and he continues to claim that we they have control of the border. They don't. Uh, again, they're getting efficient at processing, dispersing to all points in America. Senator Ron Johnson, I want to thank you for sharing what you saw at the border. It is, in fact, uh, disturbing, and I think it should uh, it should concern every American the human tragedy that's unfolding right there at our southern border. Always good to see you, Senator. Thanks for joining us. Stay well. All right, Senator Ron Johnson of uh, Wisconsin. You know, I've thought about it. I may need to go down to the border myself again. It was, as I said, when I was there last time, it was like a, a ghost town because it had been, uh, this illegal crossing had been stopped by the policies put in place. The policies matter. This is a creation of the policies of the present administration. All right, coming up, Democrats call to codify same-sex marriage. It was on the House floor today. We're going to talk about that next. Don't go away. Would you like to spend consistent time in God's Word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible. FRC's two-year Bible reading plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading intentionally. You will dive deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into cultural issues of today. All wisdom comes from God, and He has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. His Word is necessary in our lives, so much so that Christ said, we are to live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He calls it our daily bread because we need it daily to sustain us and nourish us spiritually, just like food does physically. Start this adventure today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, we'll text you with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org slash Bible. First Peter 3.15 instructs us to always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks for a reason for the hope that we have. The mission of FRC's online center for biblical worldview is to carry out that first by training Christians to advance and defend the faith in their families, communities, and the public square, as now more than ever, we need to be grounded in the truth of God's word. The Center for Biblical Worldview provides amazing written resources for a wide range of relevant issues, including biblical stances on voting, religious liberty, abortion, marriage, and sexuality. Each of these topics comes as a free downloadable PDF version, abbreviated version, and Spanish translation, along with a prayer guide. To access this written series or to sign up for the Center for Biblical Worldview's monthly newsletter, visit frc.org worldview.
Did you know that from as early as 12 weeks, and certainly by 20 weeks, an unborn child can feel pain? Did you know the issue of pornography is growing among women? Did you know that pornography, sex trafficking, and abortion are all linked and on the rise across the globe? Issues such as pornography, human trafficking, drug legalization, and abortion are all violations of human dignity and have resulted in the devaluation of human life in our culture. Family Research Council stands firm on the principle that every life has value, ought to be respected, and has been designed for a unique purpose. Educate yourself on the harms of pornography, human trafficking, and abortion so that you can offer hope and help. Learn more at frc.org forward slash life. Tony Perkins, good to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Hey, if you live in Kansas, and I know a lot of you do, I'll be there this weekend. Sunday morning, I'll be at Central Christian Church in Wichita preaching. And then Sunday night, I'll be speaking at uh, Lenexa Baptist Church in Kansas City, Kansas. And we'll also be having a uh, breakfast for pastors the next morning. That's Monday morning. So if you're in the area, come see us. You can uh, find out more at TonyPerkins.com. All right, uh, Nancy Pelosi and the House Democrats have rushed a vote today on what they're calling the Respect for Marriage Act. I call it the Disrespect for Marriage Act. It's their attempt to codify into law the 2015 Supreme Court decision in Obergefell versus Hodges. This is the redefining of marriage, despite the fact that over half the states had passed constitutional amendments defining marriage as it had been for 5,000 years of human history. In fact, we're going to have Chris uh, Chip Roy be joining. He's going to be joining us in a moment, but they're actually still on the floor. Here's something that uh, Chip Roy had to say earlier about this bill on the House floor. Now my colleagues on the other side of the aisle want to put forward a bill that is clearly political in nature. They don't want to talk about inflation. They don't want to talk about wide open borders. They don't want to talk about rampant crime. They don't want to talk about the state of this country in decline, heading into a recession, or people are hurting across the country. They don't want to talk about that. So they bring forward a political bill. Well, we're going to be joined by him momentarily. They're still voting on the House floor. But joining me now in studio is FRC's director of the Center for Biblical Worldview, David Clawson. David, welcome back to the program. Hey, great to be here with you, Tony. All right. So some people seem to think that, uh, you know, it was seven years ago that the court redefined marriage and somehow things have changed. And therefore, and actually seeing this among some Republicans, a little timid in their defense of, uh, of marriage. So tell me what, what's changed as uh, it pertains to the importance of marriage being between a man and a woman. And nothing's changed in the last seven years, Tony. I think it's interesting. You know, I was even talking to our interns earlier this week about same-sex marriage, about the Obergefell decision. You know, a decision like this happened when they were in early high school, not even paying attention to politics. Um, we walked through it all. And the reality is, though, that marriage for 5,000 years has between a man and a woman and every society has recognized that. Even uh, Greco-Roman societies that were you know, fine with homosexuality, even they would define marriage between a man and a woman. Uh, civilization depends on it, Tony. Um, but even more significant than that is that's what the Bible teaches. Right. The Bible could not be more clear on the definition of marriage. All right. H- hold that uh, thought. I think we have Congressman Chip Roy. Do we have uh, Congressman Roy? You do, Tony. How are you? Hey, good, uh, Chip. Thanks so much for joining us. I know the vote. Has the vote actually taken place yet? 
No, uh, interesting. I think we've got two more appropriations amendment votes, and then I think in about 10 minutes we'll vote on the actual bill. All right. We just played a clip of the floor debate earlier today and your remarks on the uh, so-called respect marriage law, which uh, we call it the uh, Disrespect Marriage Act. Uh, Tell us what's going on. What's behind this? Well, first of all, uh, this is being rushed through for political purposes by Democrats, right? We got the bill yesterday about an hour and a half before rules. It didn't go through the Judiciary Committee. It wasn't marked up. They're blowing over regular order, and they don't care. They're doing it for a crass political purpose because they know that there are a lot of Republicans uh, who would normally oppose this, who are now trying to think through it, going, wait, what are you talking about? Full faith and credit. Obergefell's already the law. And that's why we're at the process matters, right? You go through this, you and I both know this would be Congress stepping in. And for for the first time, I think, if a majority of Republicans do this, and I don't know what the numbers are going to be in the end, I hope it's not. I'm whipping against it as much as I can. A block of Republicans are going to vote for this under this false notion that uh, somehow under full faith and credit, we must we must recognize marriages across state lines which would be in direct contradiction to Texas law. It would be in direct contradiction to what the current people of Texas have said on their books with respect to definition of marriage being one man and one woman. And they would also be hiding behind interracial marriage in doing so. And there's no comparison. You might remember that Clarence Thomas noted in footnote five in Obergefell the long history of how uh, anti-misogynist laws were all about uh, slavery and about uh, those particular issues and, uh, you know, suppressing outlying slaves was actually one quote. Uh, marriage, on the other hand, is an institution that spans millennia and cultures. It's rooted in the foundation of a stable society built around the family. Uh, I hope Republicans don't fall for this trap. Well, in, you know, the latest Republican Party platform, the 2016, the 2020 platform, very clear on this, even after the Obergefell ruling, that the Republican Party recognized that marriage between a man and a woman was essential to the well-being of society. So what's changed? Nothing has changed. That's where the will of the people remains. It was a mere seven years ago that the court created this definition of marriage, redefining marriage. Uh, and and Republicans would be foolish today to say, oh, well, okay, I guess because more people now have kind of said, okay, I guess we're okay with that, that they're suddenly going to say that we should redefine marriage and codify that. They've not voted for that. And I don't think they understand exactly what they're doing when they see this stuff. But, well, full faith and credit, well, we just got to recognize a marriage in another state. No. Full faith and credit doesn't re- – there's a limit to full faith and credit. We don't have to recognize a marriage license from another state any more than a medical license or a lawyer, uh, you know, a bar license. Um, and, and we have the – Texas has spoken very clearly on this. I won't speak to other states' laws, but Texas is very clear. And uh, it would be an error for Republicans to ignore platforms, ignore our values, ignore the institution of marriage, simply because they've gotten comfortable seven years after an erroneous right. uh, Supreme Court decision. Well, and, and very quickly, Clarence Thomas, in his um, opinion in the Dobbs case, points out the fact that many of these rights have been created. They weren't constitutional. There was no constitutional right to redefine marriage. And so... Uh, as they see the rationale of Dobbs and the fact that we have a court returning to the Constitution, that has the left scared to death because the court's no longer doing their legislating. That's right. And also note what Justice Thomas said, and this is important. When he's criticizing so-called substantive due process, which is a completely uh, uh, absurd legal theory, 
that's oxymoronic on its face. He noted, look, what I'm saying is, is that we can go back and relook at some of these rights that were that were uh, established under substantive due process under any other theory. But what he's saying is, is that using substantive due process was wrong. If you want to have a debate about those other issues, let's have a debate about that and look at it legally. Right. But and I think that's an important part of this. He was criticizing the how. He didn't issue a decision right. on each uh, uh, issue on its own right. 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 It, it, it's all about process, and it's what makes our system of law work, and it's critical for stability. Uh, Congressman Chip Roy, always great to talk with you. Thanks for your leadership, and thanks for speaking out boldly, both uh, in the committee and on the House floor today. I'm happy to. I just hope Republicans recognize it's pretty simple. Don't go vote for gay marriage. That's it. All right. Thanks. Stick with us, folks. We're coming back with more after this. Are you a university student? Do you know a university student, specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make a difference wherever God calls. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org internships to apply. What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength. But where can they find it in our culture? Stand Courageous Men's Ministry was created to help men find this model of godly manhood and to develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. Join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who understand the issues men face. They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. This is Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins. Good to have you with us on this Tuesday. Mark your calendars. The 2022 Pray Vote Stand Summit will be September the 14th through the 16th at the First Baptist Church in Atlanta, Georgia. We've taken the Pray Vote Stand Summit on the road. Georgia, of course, can be a critical state in uh, the midterm election. Find out more because seating is limited, so you need to register very soon. Go to prayvotestand.org slash summit. That's prayvotestand.org slash summit. Okay, we were talking with Congressman uh, Chip Roy. Uh, a little bit ago, that he just stepped off the House floor to uh, to talk with us about this uh, measure being pushed by the Democrats to codify same-sex marriage into law. Uh, and again, I want to go back to uh, the Democratic Senate leader, Chuck Schumer. He had this to say earlier today. 
The MAGA Republicans that are taking over the Republican Party have made it abundantly clear they're not satisfied with repealing Roe. As many have openly said, they have now turned their attention now on the Obergefell decision and marriage equality. We are not satisfied with the court imposing public policy on this nation, especially policy that runs counter to the Constitution. And so what we saw in Roe was after 50 years nearly, they put it back where it belonged, into the hands of policymakers who, as we've already seen, 26 states to some degree or another, understand that life is sacred because it's created in the image of God. That's why it has value. Well, marriage is a sacred institution. It was created by God. And for 5,000 years of human history, it has been seen as a union between a man and a woman. As David Clawson, uh, who's still here with me, David, thanks for sticking around, as you were talking about uh, a few minutes ago, while there have been societies and civilizations that have allowed different types of behaviors that under a biblical view would be seen as abominable and sinful, uh, they still they still recognize as the core of civilization marriage between a man and a woman because that's where children are both born, raised, reared, and educated and equipped to become the next generation of citizens. Yeah, you're right, Tony. And that's such an important point to make because, again, Obergefell was decided seven years ago. That seems kind of like a long time, but it's just a blink of an eye when you consider the full span of human history, which for centuries, for millennia, has recognized marriage between a man and a woman. Uh, that's the context that families can flourish. It's the, the context that children can thrive. It's the context that civilization depends on, a healthy marriage culture. And, and Tony, this is what the Bible teaches, and I, I'm glad we're having this conversation. Our colleague George Barna did a poll pretty recently, uh, just a year or so ago, that showed that 34% of evangelicals are actually confused on if the Bible actually addresses this issue. And so in one sense, I think the left's been successful in kind of making us hide when it comes to this issue. But we need to be really, really clear. The Bible speaks clearly on this issue. There's some issues. uh, The Bible might give us some principles about certain issues that we have to kind of think through and pray about when it comes to policy. On the issue of marriage, there's a thus saith the Lord. Uh, There's chapters and verses we can go to, Tony, uh, that show us what God's view on this is. The institution that he created, by the way. That's a bit disturbing, David. If Christians, 35% would say that only 35% say the Bible speaks with clarity to it? 34%, uh, so just over a third, believe the Bible is ambiguous. Ambiguous. So about you know 65% understand the Bible's right. clear teaching, but a full third of evangelicals are a little confused about well, it. Well, again, we have to look at that definition of evangelicals. It's become a very elastic um, term. But if you read the Bible, you cannot escape the fact that God defines marriage as a union of man and woman, whether in the Old Testament or New Testament. I mean, Jesus reaffirms it in Matthew chapter 19. Yes. Uh, not only does he take on marriage, but he takes on gender, too. Yeah. No. And it's really important, honey, whenever Paul or Jesus talk about marriage, uh, whatever the context is, usually in the context of talking about divorce, they immediately go back to Genesis 2. Right. Uh, Genesis 1 and 2. That's where the foundation where it, where it all starts. And in Genesis 2.24 is where that editorial comment that Moses makes, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. They shall become one. That's the foundation for a Christian ethic on marriage. So uh, is a part of this possibly that the the church is not teaching and preaching on marriage? I mean, is, is that an area where when the culture, you know, began this redefinition, just as we're seeing from some 
elected officials a little timid now because the media pounces on anybody who says marriage is a union of a man and a woman. Has the church become timid too? I think somewhat. I think a lot of politicians are comfortable saying, oh, well, this issue is settled. Let's move on to other things. I don't think you'd find a lot of pastors that say, oh, the issue is settled. But I think you'll find a lot of pastors who would rather talk about other things, things that might not put them in the direct crosshairs of where the new sexual orthodoxy is today. Well, we have to preach the whole counsel of God. And from Genesis to Revelation, and all of these issues are touched upon. And I think, look, there is going to come a point where we know this experiment is not going to work, yep. and people are going to be looking for answers. And I think it's better that it uh, we, if we have the opportunity to correct it now, we correct it now. And I, I don't, I'm not hesitant to say that. I think we should look at this is yet another uh, creation of the court. Yes. No foundation in history, no foundation in the Constitution, and it will have tragic consequences for our culture and for our country. Yeah. No, Scalia and his dissent back in the Obergefell decision said that it was, you know, the decision was based on the mystical aphorisms of a fortune cookie. He's right on the legal part, and I think as Christians we need to be clear on what the Bible says as well. And we're already seeing fallout from this, so it's uh, it's not theoretical that there'll be... Uh, tragic consequences right. from the redefining. Uh, David Clawson, thanks so much for uh, stopping in. Good Absolutely. To Thank you, Tony. All right. All right, folks, stick with us. Coming up, the Biden administration says it's not their fault when gas prices go up, but they deserve credit for every penny when it goes down. We'll talk about that and inflation rates and what could be on the horizon. That's next. Congressman Kevin Brady, don't go away. We're back after this. What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength. But where can they find it in our culture? Stand Courageous Men's Ministry was created to help men find this model of godly manhood and to develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design men who will stand courageous. Join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who understand the issues men face. They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. With the increase in tech censorship of conservatives and Christians, Family Research Council created a tech subscription platform to be sure we don't go completely dark due to censorship. It is important to us that we stay connected with you and that you stay informed. So if we get canceled, you can still access updates on faith, family, and freedom. How? Just text STAND to 67742 to sign up for our text alerts and you will get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742 and you will get alerts on the biggest stories of the day. With just a simple text, always have access to our content and stay informed and connected with like-minded community. Text STAND to 67742. That's STAND to 67742.
Are you a university student? Do you know a university student, specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make a difference wherever God calls. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org internships to apply. website tonyperkins.com again mark your calendars pray vote stand summit coming up september the 14th through the 16th at first baptist church in atlanta georgia seating is limited so you need to register soon go to prayvotestand.org slash summit okay we're going to be joined in just a moment by uh, congressman kevin brady of texas to talk about uh, some numbers economic numbers inflation gas prices but until he joins us, we're going to talk education. We're going to talk numbers. We're going to talk about polling numbers. Joining me now to talk about this, Meg Kilgannon, Senior Fellow for Education Studies here at FRC. Meg, you were just in that seat, it seems like. It's been it's been recently. Yeah, like maybe yeah. 24 hours. All right, this is, uh, we talked actually about this last week. There was a poll by Heart Research in Battleground States um, that found that Republicans had a 39 to 38% advantage with voters on the education issue. Well, there's a new poll out, another poll conducted by Democrats, a Democratic polling firm. What does it tell us? An even bigger lead for Republicans versus Democrats on the issue of education. And again, this is just unprecedented in modern history for for Republicans to be leading Democrats on the issue of education. It's always been a Democratic issue. Always. Always. And the, the, the American Federation of Teachers poll, of course, is not surprising because they are, you know, they're cooperating with big labor. They're just an arm of the Democrat Party, right? So, of course, their numbers are going to be great. This education reform network was described to me as sort of a center-left group at one time that's backed by hedge fund managers. So this this group is somebody who you know, probably likes to cater to Democrats, but they're not so much in bed with them as the American Federation of Teachers poll would be. And still these results are even stronger in favor of Republicans leading on this issue. So what this tells me in looking through it, and we're going to dissect this, but what it tells me when I look at the 30,000-foot view is that the engagement by parents and by conservatives exposing what's happening in education is working, and it's getting people's attention. And regardless of whether or not Democrat, Democrats come back to, to dominate education, it's going to change what's happening in the classroom because people are now taking note. And even the Democrats, they're polling and their advisors are telling them, hey, you've got to back off of this racial stuff and all this gender stuff because you're losing people. Right. Well, I mean, we know 
But it is not a large number of people who want to pursue the gender politics, the race politics in schools. That's not most teachers. That's not certainly not most students or parents. It's a, it's a very small but vocal part of this educational establishment who are just obsessed with this issue. Yeah. And so they they are driving the narrative on this, and people aren't buying it. It's really well, great to see. One of the things that just jumped out at me, Meg, is the where this is when you look at the the voting blocks and the demographics when you look at historic voters that the democratic party have have historically the voters that the democratic party has historically relied upon uh, voters of color they are trailing republicans by 10 percentage points on education yes that is unbelievable Yes. Now, what that tells me, I'm going to put my political hat on here. What that tells me, and this is what I've been preaching to Republicans for years, is that when you look at the Hispanic community and you look at the African-American community, we're closer together than you think because we share common values, because there is a strong biblical orientation, religious orientation but unfortunately, historically, the Republicans have wanted to talk finance and economics, and that's not the language that it uh, connects with many in the minority community. No, absolutely not. They're very, very family-oriented. Everyone is family-oriented. Nobody, regardless of your skin color, wants to have people in the classroom talking to your children about sex and gender all day long. They certainly don't want them talking about race all day long. Right. They People send their children to school to learn, to, to have the same educational experience or an even better one, hopefully, than the ones we had when we right. were in school. Well, that was actually one of the points they brought up is they want, I think it was somewhere, I don't know, 70, 80 percent saying, look, we just want to go back to 87 percent of voters agreed that students lost ground during the pandemic. Sixty percent say they're still behind. And what they want is the schools to focus on helping their kids succeed. Yes. Yes. educational attainment, not being right. able to, uh, you know, pick a gender. Right. So they don't want people, people don't want to keep looking behind. They want to look forward to what is the new economy going to mean for my family? How is my child going to support him or herself when they grow up? You know, what? how how is that going to look? And what is the educational system in this country doing to prepare our, our family and my children for that? Okay, no, not that I want to help them out, but what do the Democrats have to do to regain the ground that they've lost in education? Well, they according could, to their according own According to their advisors. own poll, they need to stop politicizing and stop leaning into the culture war issues. But what the pollsters get wrong in their advice is they say that Republicans and Democrats should stop talking about culture war issues. And I, I would say that we don't really want to talk about culture war issues. We're just defending ourselves on this side. <laughs> so it's actually, if they would stop, we would stop. That's the way it always <laughs> is. I mean, I, I know going back on the marriage debate, they, they talk about you, you just want to talk about marriage. You want to talk about this or that. I'm fine not talking about it. But if you're going to pick a fight, I'm not going to run from it. Right. I mean, right. if you want to redefine marriage, you're not going to do it. And, and, a lot, and I'm not going to be silent. You're not going to advance abortion with my money. And have me be silent. You're not going to take my children and indoctrinate them in the classroom with a godless agenda, and I'm going to be silent about it. Absolutely. I mean, when you redefine an institution like marriage, 
this this creates a whole cascade of effects that we have not dealt with as a society. When you order sex education around the institution of marriage and you redefine marriage to be between a man and a man or a woman and a woman, now well, your sex education is getting a little trickier. Well, and, and, and I would argue, and I can back this up, that what we are dealing with now in the classroom is the result of a Burgerfeld in 2015. Correct. I mean, this is the fallout. This is what we're dealing with. So we can swat the flies and yes. we can fight the fires, or as the left is afraid, we can go back and revisit these constitutional missteps that were made by the courts. Well, what I what I absolutely know is true, besides the fact that marriage is between a man and a woman, is that it's not at, on the backs of our children and in the classrooms that they have to go to by law that we need to be sorting out these issues. Yeah. These are adult issues for adult conversations in ho- houses of, of law and houses of worship, right? This is not the place... It's school is not the place where we should be figuring all this out. Right. And the polling results reflect that attitude. So going forward, um, I would say that Republicans or conservatives or parents, however you want to define them, um, should just keep doing what they're doing. Yes. Parents really need to stay engaged. Uh, we, we the the the, the most um, uh, the inter- issue with the most energy around it right now in the grassroots is is the books is is books with with pornographic content with sexually explicit content with violent content with occult content being available to children in libraries parents are not going to stop right. on that issue uh, they're not going to tolerate these books being purchased with taxpayer dollars and being offered in schools to children right now I I probably shouldn't bring this up because I didn't tell you I was going to bring it up, and I'm going to bring it up uh, because it's a part of this agenda as we're seeing the sex ed and this radical gender uh, ideology that's in the classroom. There are some that are salivating at the opportunity to get to our children and bring this to the next step like Planned Parenthood. And so we're actually seeing this expansion of school clinics that includes Planned Parenthood that is actually now uh, doing a lot when it comes to the issue of hormones and the the whole treatment of children. Right. The, the move to have school-based health clinics uh, expanded across the country is really quite disturbing. In, um, in where I live in Virginia, they've started this process with um, vaccine clinics. They right. were offering vaccine clinics for everybody, not just kids, but uh, for adults to come to school sites to be vaccinated. And we know that that's the camel's nose under the tent right. for offering a whole array of health care services right. to the children. And ch- parents right. don't go with their kids to right. school. And they don't see it. <laughs> uh, Meg, we've got uh, Congressman Kevin Brady now joining us from the, uh, the House floor. Thank you for stopping by. Maybe we'll see you again tomorrow. Who knows? <laughs> Thanks, Tony. <laughs> All right. In a move that is uh, really beyond belief, the Biden administration is attempting a victory lap for a minor fall in gas prices. Prices at the pump surged to record levels due to Biden's energy policy. And now that they've cooled off 50 cents, they've dropped from the high of over five dollars. The president wants to take credit. It was Putin who raised them, but he's the one that lowered them. Also, you look at inflation, 9.1 percent a year ago today. He said it was transitory. Joining me now to talk about this is Congressman Kevin Brady. He's the ranking member on the House Ways and Means Committee. He represents the 8th Congressional District of Texas. Congressman, thanks for stepping off the floor to talk to us. Thank you, Tony. I apologize for being a little late. We just got a 
big vote series, and uh, thank you. And, and, boy, you're exactly right. It's been a year today since President Biden just dismissed inflation as transitory, temporary, nothing to worry about. And, and here we are, man. We had, a, we had a double dose of bad news last week, the 9%, 9.1% you talked about. But the, the Main Street businesses, inflation's raging for them as well. They've had double-digit inflation now for seven months, and that means we're going to see higher prices for families for a long time to come. So when you have inflation, higher prices, these pressures on business, the best thing to do is raise taxes, right? Yeah. Boy, yeah, fuel inflation more with spending and then raise taxes that end up in higher prices for uh, for families and workers. It makes no sense. In fact, you know, five countries in the world are actually lowering taxes to fight inflation. I think I think a little bit encouraging is that Senator Manchin has called a pause on this one trillion dollar tax hike bill. But my worry, Tony, is there is a lot of time left between now and the end of the budget year, September 30th. And uh, look, there is no good time to raise taxes on on family owned businesses and farms, uh, on on companies that need to invest um, in supply chain to get these shelves filled again. And so we are. We're going to stay vigilant uh, against this until the end of the, the budget year. And, and again, what, what country raises taxes as you're heading into the recession? Right. Answers none ever. And, and we're talking about the net investment income tax or mm-hmm. that, that's being proposed. This is actually being considered and proposed. And as you said, it's uh, the one senator, Senator Manchin, that seems to be standing in the way of this being able to go forward in reconciliation. Yeah, he really is. And, and so far, he's called a pause, said, I want to wait and see what uh, if economic conditions improve. And I think uh, our point is, look, over the next few months, inflation is going to continue to rage, both for families and Main Street businesses. You know, a recession will still be looming if we're not already in it. And as slow as the economy's been this first half of the year, everyone expects it to slow down even further. And so I cannot imagine that that at any point will be a time for Congress to raise taxes. And I I would note there are, Tony, now finding some other Democrats in the House who are saying the last thing we need to do is raise taxes coming up into an election. Are you concerned, Congressman Brady, that after the election in that lame duck session of Congress that we might see something like this uh, and some other measures pushed through? Yeah, no, I don't. I actually feel pretty comfortable. They really got to use this this process of reconciliation, that pushing through past the filibuster. You know, they only get certain times to use it. I, it would be very difficult for them after the budget year ends for them to be able to cobble that together. So it's not impossible, but the odds get 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 much slimmer for them to be able to do that. So we, we've got to get between uh, between now and the election is really the uh, well, actually, I guess between key. now and uh, yes, October sir. key time. Yeah. Yep, that is the time. And we can't let our guard down here because they Democrats are desperate and uh, it shows and they're they're desperate to distract anything, anything but inflation and uh, job slowing and paychecks shrinking. And uh, that's where they're at right now. So final question for you, Congressman Kevin Brady, that, you know, we know that if we were to go back and reverse the energy policy of the Biden administration, uh, that would certainly take some of the pressure off because that's a big driver of inflation. But what are the whether what other actions could be taken to bring relief to families in the short term? 
Yeah, so first, don't fuel any more inflation. you got to get those all that COVID air spending out of the budget. So stop stoking it further. Secondly, make the tax cuts permanent for families and small businesses, mm-hmm. especially as inflation is hitting everyone. You ought to be assured, you know, you're going to pay the lowest amount of taxes possible. Thirdly, get workers back. You know, we can we, we just part of the inflation problem is we just don't have the workers to assemble the products, man the production lines, deliver them, service them, any of that. And it's driving prices up for the long term. Energy obviously is really key. Turn a red light into a green light, take the war away and encourage it in the US, I think it'd be very helpful. And then we hear from businesses the regulatory, the paperwork yeah. burden from Washington is driving up prices for them as well. So get get all of those things out of the economy that, that adds to inflation. I think you can start to see some real differences. Well, hopefully after November we'll begin to see some of those changes, quite possibly. Yes, sir. Congressman Kevin Brady, always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for uh, taking time Thanks. to step off the floor and talk to us. Thank you, sir. Take care. All right. Congressman Kevin Brady of uh, Texas represents the area around Houston. All right, folks, thank you for joining us as well. Always great to have you with us. Check out the website, TonyPerkins.com, as well as WashingtonStand.com. Until next time, I leave you once again with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.